Well, welcome everyone. It's good to see you uh, this weekend. Thank you for exercising your survival skills and making it to church. And uh, it's good to be together. Hey, before uh, we jump into our conversation, I want to uh, lean in again to this discovery group that we've been talking about. Uh, If you're newer to Grace Church or if you've been around for a while and you've never kind of taken a step beyond coming to weekend services, that's what the discovery groups are for. And I encourage you to do that. If you kind of said, I, I, church, we want to make that like a New Year's resolution. We really need to do this for the kids and get back in the groove. Or maybe you've discovered a relationship with Christ and you're wondering what to do next. The kind of the thing to do here at Grace is to head into this discovery group process. So that starts next weekend. Uh, I promise you that you will be glad that you made that investment. Uh, next weekend, I'll be with you and kind of kick off that whole process. And by the time you're through uh, that group process, you will know your way around grace. You'll know why we function the way that we do. You'll know your way around the Bible. Uh, You'll start to have kind of a grip of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And you'll just find that incredibly informative and helpful. So if you haven't done that, even if you've been coming for a while, swallow your pride and just admit you should have done it a decade ago and you didn't, all right, we forgive you. If I believed in absolving you, I would. And uh, <coughs> encourage you to do that and come out and uh, take advantage of it, okay? All right, we are uh, in the middle of a series right now called Less Is More. And in this series, we're talking about kind of this rush of information and causes and opinions that come at us every day. And so we're talking about the cell phone, Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, just whatever apps you're into, social media you're into plus the television, plus if anybody actually listens to the radio, still that too. And we're just saying, man, there's this this flood all the time of ideas and opinions, and it has caused us to live a certain way. It's not that any of those things are sinful. There's nothing sinful about your phone or apps or Facebook, social media or TV, nothing at all. It's just kind of what happens because of the culture that we live in. And we said the end result of all this has been that we have thousands of friends but no real relationships, right? We like thousands of things but we don't invest in anything. We read tons of bits of information but we don't have any actual conversations. And so we spread ourselves super thin and we love everything equally. I'm as committed to my friends, as I am to my hobbies, as I am to my job, as I am to Jesus. And our culture is built from trivial things up. And we said that's not something that can sustain itself. So we started asking, how do we move from the trivial to the beneficial to the eternal and lock onto the things that God wants for us, has provided for us, and will uh, kind of actually allow us to live the life that we, we want to live. So we've been in this conversation for a few weeks. If you missed it, I encourage you to go out online, graceohio.org, and you can uh, watch those conversations there. You can listen to them, get a podcast for free through iTunes if you want, kind of catch up. We talked about just kind of diagnose the problem, and we talked about how that plays out and finances and the pressure that that brings. Last week, and we talked about our schedule, how to set that up so that we're living for the eternal, and uh, encourage you to grab that information. This weekend, what I want to do is I want to talk about a byproduct of all this, okay? So we have all this stuff. We've been talking about it for the last few weeks, kind of diagnosing it, working it through a little bit, all this information, and it produces something in us. 
all this information coming at us all the time, all of these entertainment options all the time, the busyness, the hecticness, the pressure of life has produced in us a people, and I'm one of these people, you are too, we have become people who live stressed out lives. Uh, We live with anxiety, we live with fear, we live with worry, we live with stress, and that has become kind of the natural, normal state of existence for most North Americans. If you talk to the average teenager in North America, and if you could press them and say, could you give me like a word or two that describes your emotions, they would probably along that description say, I am stressed out. I'm so busy, I gotta go to school, and then I gotta go to soccer practice, and I gotta do homework, and then I gotta catch up with all my friends while doing all those kinds of, I am a stressed out, busy person. If you talk to the average college student and say, hey, in a word or two, you know, describe your life, they, they might say, I'm just full of anxiety. I gotta do this, I gotta do that, and then I'm worried if I can get a job, and then I choose the right major, and I don't know how I'm gonna pay for my classes this semester, and, and if you talk to the average person, this is how we describe our lives to each other, right? If you talk to somebody, say, hey, how you doing? We'll say something like, oh man, I just, well, just busy, but you know, surviving. You know, I have a friend, every time I say, how you doing? He always, he always goes, I'm still vertical, I'm still vertical. I'm like, that's great, you're not dead, that's terrific, right? And so, but we, we'll describe to each other that, like I'm worried or I'm stressed or I have this fear or I don't know what's gonna happen here and this stuff is happening at work and we will talk to each other about the stress and the pressures and the anxiety of our lives. And we'll use a bunch of different vocabulary for it, but we all know that that's what that means. And that comes from a mind that races constantly and a soul that ultimately becomes cluttered. So when I go to lay down my head at night, I can't turn my brain off, because the last thing I did was run through my Instagram feed. Last thing I did was check my emails. The alarm goes off, I pop up, and I'm gonna immediately look at the calendar. I'm gonna immediately look at the emails. And so I don't sleep well, I don't rest well, I don't. In fact, there was one study that said, um, that I was reading, said 77% of North Americans have a physical presentation of stress in their life. And I think we all know that those numbers are never dead on, but I bet you as a percentage, that's not too far off, right? I have stress, my back's locked up, I have a headache, I grind my teeth, I can't sleep at night. Some of you don't eat, some of you are like me and that's what you do when you eat, so you put on the chub chub. You can always tell how stressed I am by how many Twinkies start appearing around the waistline, right? And so in, we live this way, we'll measure the day by how many Advil we took, right? And it has become commonplace. It's just kind of the way that we live and it's a byproduct of all the busyness, the movement, the noise, the constant flows. What do we do about this? Now it's fascinating what Jesus says. Jesus says this in John chapter 14, verse 27. He says this, he says, peace I leave with you, peace I give you. I do not give, it, I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. So Jesus comes in and he says, here here is what I give to you. I give you peace. Here's what I leave with you. I leave leave you peace. So don't be troubled. Don't be afraid. That word peace comes up all through the Bible. I I could show you, starting like in the book of Exodus and Numbers, like all the way through, 
God will look at his people, what we would say today at a Christ follower, and he'll say, I give you peace, or I speak peace to you. That word peace is a Hebrew word, and the Hebrew word is the word shalom, shalom. Some of you may know that word shalom, right? The word shalom is not a word that has a clean definition. It's a word that you would describe, not a word that you would necessarily define. So a description of shalom would be this. Shalom is the opposite of anxiety, the opposite of fear, the opposite of stress. Shalom is a completeness, a wholeness. It's the idea of well-being, harmony, tranquility, fullness, and rest. So Jesus looks at us and says, I give you shalom. I leave with you shalom. Don't let your heart be troubled. I, don't be afraid, I give you shalom. But we, even Christ followers, would say, when I go to describe my life, I never describe my life as shalom, right? I'm never like, how you doing? Oh man, I'm just so at peace, I'm so relaxed. I'm so... We would be like, what are you smoking that has got you in that frame of mind right now, right? We, we, we never tell each other about ourselves in those terms. And yet it's what God desires for us So what's the disconnect? Why wouldn't shalom be the defining feature of our life? Why is fear, trouble, anxiety, stress the defining feature of our life? Well, I would submit to you that it's because of what shalom is. Peace is not something that God magically presses into our brain and into our heart the minute we accept Jesus as our savior, right? So when I accept Christ as my savior, Jesus isn't like, your sins are forgiven, the Holy Spirit's given as a guarantee of heaven, and you got some peace, right? That's not happening. Peace, shalom is not a thing as much as it is a state of being. So shalom is a relationship that I enter into with God. Jesus offers peace, he provides peace, but if I don't turn and engage it and take it, I won't experience it. So it's not that God's promise is empty or powerless, it's that I have to receive from God what he is offering to me. I have to enter into a relationship of peace and receive the peace and the the shalom that Jesus wants to give me, right? So how do we do that? That's what we're gonna talk about. How do we move into Shalom, or how do we receive peace from God and deal with the anxiety, the stress, the fear, the worry that tends to be the things that define and direct our life? To get to a state of shalom, right, we have to make a big decision and then define one of two pathways. So we have to make a big decision and then define one of two pathways. So let's start with the big decision. In order for me to engage shalom, I have to decide to change paradigms in my life. I have to decide to change paradigms in my life. The natural paradigm of our culture right now is a paradigm of distraction and idleness. Distraction and idleness. And if I want to engage peace, I have to turn from distraction and idleness and I have to move toward Christ. If I'm stressed out, 
and I'm exhausted and I'm tired and I'm worried, my instinct in my culture right now is to distract myself and do nothing. So I'm, I'm so stressed out about everything that's going on at work, I'm going to watch swamp people. I'm so worked up about my husband malfunctioning, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna go see what's on the prices right, right? I don't, I am so uncomfortable in this conversation right now, I'm just gonna go on Facebook. I'm going to distract myself or be, I, I'm so overwhelmed by the amount of work that I have to do that I'm going to do nothing, I'm gonna play video games instead. That is a paradigm, that's a solution that you and I have come up with to deal with our stress, our worry, our anxiety, and our fear. In order to engage shalom, I have to move toward it. I have to, I have to move over here and say, I'm going to make a different decision to lock into what God is willing to provide for me. Now, why this is such a big deal in part is this, because when I turn to this paradigm of distraction and idleness, the noise amps up my stress and my anxiety, okay? I am so sick of the violence in this world and all the violence on the television and all the violence on the news. I'm just gonna go over here and I'm gonna watch The Born Identity where he kills people through the whole movie, right? I am so sick of her gossiping about me, I can't take it anymore. I'm going to see what's on Snapchat, okay? I'm so discontent with my life, I don't want to deal with that. I'm going to see what other people are doing. Look at them. They love their job. They're on vacation. Look what they have for dessert. <laughs> now I really hate my life. See how it works? I go over here to distract myself, but everything that's coming at me doesn't relieve anxiety, it adds to it. I'm so worried about this problem, I'm gonna turn on the news and I'm gonna find 10 more problems. I'm so worried about this relationship, I'm gonna go to social media and find these other people who write down unrealistic things about their relationship. The distraction and the idleness paradigm causes our anxiety, fear, worry, and stress to be more intense. The only way for me to move toward a place of peace is to choose to leave this. It's my instinct, I don't even think about what I'm doing, right? So I was stressed out about work, now I'm stressed out about whether Rick is gonna purchase the guitar on Pawn Stars or not. I can leave it and I can move to a place of peace. Now, when I make that big decision to change paradigms, I'm gonna run into two different pathways that lead me to a place of peace. Two different pathways that lead me to a place of peace. And the first thing I have to do about my stress and anxiety is I have to diagnose which one of those pathways my stress and anxiety is on. So here's the first one, right? The first pathway that I can find, that I can deal with over here, when I move toward Christ, is I can find and diagnose stress, fear, anxiety, and worry about things that I can actually control. Things I can actually control. And the Bible would have something to say to me about dealing with things that I actually can 
control. Let me show you. Grab your Bibles. Go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. And the Bible would say this. When I am stressed out about things that are in my control, I should take responsibility and ownership for those things, deal with them, thus removing them as stress and anxiety in my life. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, look at verse 6. It's page 828 in those Bibles in the chair if you want to use those. If you're electronic, we use the version app. Here it is, verse 6. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive and does not live according to the teachings you receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling, so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we did not have the right to such help, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule, the one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. And the Apostle Paul is teaching the early church, and there's lots of applications that come out of this passage, and here is one of them. He's looking and saying, if you can take responsibility for yourself, you ought to do it. Get away from idle people. They're going to drag you down. We worked, we toiled, we labored, and we did that as an example for you to imitate and here's the rule. If someone is willing to, uh, is, is unwilling to work, they should not eat. They should not be enabled. The Bible doesn't say if they're unable to work. That's compassion and care and love. But if they're unwilling to work, do not feed them. Make them take responsibility for themselves. So there is a path of anxiety over here. Remember, I've shifted I'm no longer looking at distraction and idleness. I'm looking at Christ. There is stress and anxiety in my life about things that I can control. What might Christ say about that? Christ might say, if you can control it and your stress and anxiety is because you have been idle and distracted, take responsibility for yourself and do something about it. I'm so stressed out about my exams. I feel so overwhelmed by them. I think I'll play Halo. I think I'll just put it off. I'll cram on the all night. And God would say, no, 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 no. If you're stressed out about your exams, start studying for your exams. It will alleviate the stress. I look three years in the future, I realize my job is gonna go away. It's gonna get automated. It's gonna get put offshore. It's going away. It stresses me out. That's fine. Are they offering you any continuing education at work? Did they tell you about a program to be retrained? Don't sit and stress for three years. Begin to apply yourself. It will alleviate that stress and you'll be ready if the break happens. My marriage is a mess. I don't even like to be around my wife anymore. I think I'll watch football. I think I'll rebuild a car. I think I, no. What if you start paying attention to her and actually working on it? The house is such a mess, it's overwhelming. What should I do? Clean it. 
It's so much. Start with a room, right? And guys, there's a part of our stress and our anxiety that we can control, and the scripture would actually say you should take responsibility for that. Guys, I'll just be blunt with you. Some of you need to quit praying about your finances and start cutting up your credit cards. Some of us need to quit praying that we hit the lottery and start looking for a second job. Come on. Jesus bailed me out. I did. I gave you a mind. I gave you a body. I gave you opportunity. You need to own what you can own in your life. And when we do that, we've walked away from idleness and distraction. The credit cards are so high, I don't even care anymore. What? Turn out of that and turn toward Christ. What would he say? Well, part of what he would say is, if you can engage it, engage it. And as you do that, I will come along beside you and I will honor you in that process. To whom much is given, much is required, right? So as I do well with the little things, God will bless it, right? Doesn't mean he makes all your problems go away. It means that now I'm in a cooperative relationship with God and it affects my anxiety and it affects my fear and it affects my worries. If the house is overwhelming you, clean the kitchen and you will feel better about the house today. That anxiety will lessen. But distraction and idleness will take you nowhere. It will only reinforce it, right? When you start watching television shows about how nice other people's houses are, okay, turn. What does God say? What's the principle? I'm gonna lock into that. That's the first path of anxiety and stress you're gonna find when you do that. Now here's the second one. The second path of anxiety and stress you're gonna find is the path in which we worry and fear and have anxiety about things we cannot control. And I would actually submit to you that that's where most of our worry, fear, and anxiety lays. We tend to worry and fear and have anxiety the most about things that we cannot do anything about. I'm finishing my degree, I'm going to graduate, or maybe I just did at the semester break, and I don't know if I can find a job in this job market. That's legit, right? My industry is going away, they're doing downsizing at work. I don't know if I'm gonna have a job next week. That's a legitimate stress. My, I was talking to a friend the other day. She is concerned about her friend who's having a major health crisis. And her friend has children. And she's like, she said, I worry for my friend's kids. That's a legitimate stress. I'm fearful of the future. That's, that's very true. Many of us are. I'm fearful of the past. Many of us have our anxiety and our stress rooted in our past. What does all that have in common? I can't do anything about it. I, I cannot take, my children are not embracing the things of the Lord. You can't do anything. They're adults, you can't do anything about that. My children are raising my grandchildren and they're not passing the same values. I can't control it. So there's one path where I can engage, I can actually, I just need to do something, because I can. The bigger path, I cannot do anything, and the anxiety and the fear and the worry are overwhelming me. How am I supposed to engage the peace of God in this whole thing? Well, the Bible tells us, look in your Bibles, turn back to the left, maybe just three to five pages, it's just right behind it. 
to Philippians chapter four. Philippians chapter four, God tells us what to do when we have anxiety and stress that is like that, all right? Philippians chapter four, page 820. Here it is, look halfway through verse five, Philippians chapter four. The Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Let's read it again. Lord's near. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. When you think about dealing with the anxiety and the stress and the fear and the worry tied to things that you cannot control, what do I do with that? Now remember, first I make the big decision, I'm moving away from distraction and idleness, I'm turning toward Christ, what do I do? I take my anxiety about every situation And by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, I present my request to God. When you think about dealing with that kind of stress and anxiety, I want you to remember this. Ready? I want you to remember two Ps and a T. Two Ps and a T. Right? Prayer and petition with thanksgiving. Two Ps and a T. God says, bring that to me in prayer. Let's talk about this for a second. In this context of the scripture, prayer is tied to worship. And it's literally tied to the idea that when I pray, I'm entering into the presence of the almighty, holy God, and I'm engaging in worship. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, the Bible says this. The Bible says that as a follower of Christ, you are to come boldly into the throne room of God. I'm literally, spiritually, altering the location of my heart and mind. I'm stressed, I'm anxious, I'm worried. My instinct is distraction and idleness. I'm gonna watch more TV, see another movie, flip through YouTube, see what's going on there, right? I'm going to go toward Christ instead of to this, and I'm going to change the location of my heart and mind. I'm going to bring myself into the presence of God. And I'm full of anxiety, and I'm full of stress, and I'm concerned, and I can't sleep, and I'm going to move and alter my environment. Now, once I've altered my environment, here's the two Ps, ready? I'm going to do what? I'm going to petition God. So God, here I am. You said to come boldly into your throne room. I did, I'm changing my location. I'm in your throne room now with you. What do I do here? Well, you cast your anxiety and your care on me. You petition me. When I petition someone, I only petition for things that I cannot do myself, right? So I petition for things that I cannot accomplish myself. So I'm asking God. Petitioning is, is a statement of humility. I'm looking at God and I'm saying, God, I cannot control my children. I cannot control my future. I cannot go and relive my past, but it's weighing on me. There's anxiety, there's fear, there's trouble, there's worry. 
I'm coming into your throne room to be with you, and I'm asking you to care for this for me. I cannot care for this. I cannot control it. I cannot make it happen. I submit it to you, right? Two P's and then a T. Through prayer, changed my location. Through petition, I'm giving over the weight to God. And then I'm making my request known with thanksgiving. Why is thanksgiving such a big deal? I can only be thankful for something that I cannot purchase myself, right? So when, when, I, when I send in my payment for my Subaru, I don't write a thank you note, right? Because why? Because I handled it. I made this payment, that's my car, I earned it, I'm not grateful for you for it, I'm purchasing it. If you give me a gift, especially one that I cannot achieve on my own, I would be deeply grateful. When I come into the throne room of God, I'm entering the presence of God, I'm petitioning him, I'm giving him control of something that I cannot control, and what I get in return, with gratitude, I'm receiving the love of God. God, thank you that you do this. Thank you that you care about it. Thank you that you're not this far off distant God that doesn't give a rip about my life. But this detail in my life, this pressure in my life, this, this thing that haunts me, this thing that worries me, this thing that's right in front of me, you carry that for me and I am grateful. And when I achieve or lock on to an attitude of gratitude, what that allows me to do, it takes me from the idea that I earn this or I deserve this and it takes me to the idea that I can receive love. If you give me a gift and I receive it with gratitude, I feel what? Loved. Thank you, I feel so loved, right? I don't feel like I earned it, I don't feel like I bought it, I feel like it was given to me. And there's areas of our life and this is what we have to do because we cannot control it. On, uh, on Wednesday, my oldest son got his driver's license. Oh my goodness, right? He's a responsible kid, he's a great kid. I trust him, but he's never driven, you know, death on wheels before, he's never done it. So I've done everything that I can do. I bought this big truck, lots of steel, lots of airbags, right? And then I gotta let him leave. I have to. I cannot, he, he's six foot tall. I can't strap him in the car seat in the back anymore. He resents it. <laughs> I got, and Heidi and I will talk. We're like, well, should we let him go? And we're like, well, he's got to drive by himself sometime. Should we, should we let him take his brother a mile down the road? Well, he's got to take his brother with him sometime. Should we let him drive in the snow? I guess you got to drive in the snow sometime. It's out of my control. Now, my instinct is to watch American Pickers and keep an eye on the clock. And where are you at? What are you doing? You better text me 45 times, right? My instinct is to sit and do nothing or I can change environments. God, it's your kid. It's not mine. You're the only person I know that would love him more than I do. God, I can't control that. I cannot, his life is in your hands. It's not in my hands. I can't do anything about it. 
And then, baby, when that, you see that truck coming down the road, you're like, thank you. <laughs> see? Thank you. And the stress and the fear and the anxiety is placed properly. I can't do anything about it. I've done what I can do. Bought the safest thing I could think to buy. And now I have to trust the heart of, the God, heart of God. And I put myself in his presence. I surrender control to him over something I can't control anyways. And I receive with gratitude this God who loves me, who invited me, who welcomed me bringing this request to him. Now, this is what happens. Look at this. This is so cool. Verse seven. This is the promise attached to it. This is going to blow your mind. Ready? The Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, two P's and a T, present your request to God. And here's the promise. Ready? And the peace of God, the shalom of God, the tranquility, the rest, the completeness, the wholeness of God, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, it's a spiritual thing, right? It's, it's something that God does for me, transcends all understanding, will guard your mind and your heart in Christ Jesus. My mind is racing. My soul is cluttered. I am all tensed up. Right. What do I do? I got to relax. I'm going to watch somebody shoot somebody up on TV. No. Push away from distraction. Push away from idleness. Change the environment. I'm stepping into the presence of God. I'm petitioning God. I can't do it. I admit it. Here it's you. Thank you for receiving me. And when I do that, what I have done is I have engaged shalom. It's there, it's been provided, it's been offered, but I have to walk into the room. I've engaged shalom. The peace of God transcends understanding. It's spiritual what God does. And what's it do? It's not this passive, I feel better, I feel mellow, like I, I took a pill. It stands guard, there's strength to it. The peace of God guards the heart, guards the mind, see, protects us, and allows us to live in the relationship that Christ died to offer us. I'm all pent up. God promises peace. What do I got to do? You got to make a big decision. Walk away from distraction and idleness. Walk toward Christ. When you're there, you're going to find two things. You're going to find a type of stress that you can do something about. And when you can do something about it, you need to take responsibility for yourself and do something about it. God will engage and bless that. And you're going to find a bunch of stress that you can't do a thing about. And I walk into the presence of God with that, right? Please take it. Thank you. And the spiritual work of God, peace, shalom, guards my mind, guards my heart. I have a friend who uh, has legal custody of a teenage girl right now. And we actually asked her if we could tell parts of this story and she wants us to, so I will. She has lived a pretty miserable life. Um, no father, mother is in and out of prison quite a bit. Drugs everywhere, just a total disaster. The reason that my friend became the legal guardian was that the home she was living in was busted as a meth lab. So the police were there. She's innocent in all this. This is kind of happening all around her with the adults in her life. She calls my friend. My friend shows up at the scene. 
the police are looking and saying, I don't know if there's a person we trust in this girl's life. What do we do with her? And my friend kind of impulsively said, we'll take her. And so he and his wife and their family wound up with legal custody of this teenage girl. About a week or two, maybe a month later, her grandfather, who was kind of the stabilizing force in her life, died. And so here she is. And so there's legal issues all over the place, and there's life issues all over the place, and there's uh, being behind in school, all the stuff you can imagine that would go being raised in that type of environment. So my friend, for the first time in this girl's life, represents a stable father who has strength, a stable mother who has strength and a stability, a kind of a safe environment for her to be in. And what happens every once in a while, even in that environment, she'll short, she'll short circuit, right? He says it's like a, a live wire in her. And you'll, he said, you'll watch, I can see it coming. She'll just start tensing up and you can see her shoulders, and you can see her hands, and you can see her face and you can just see her fill with anxiety, fear, worry, and stress. He said, usually when she does that, it disrupts the family. So one of the first things I do is I'll send her to her room. And just say, get, get, get out of the environment for a minute, go to your room. And he said, after a few minutes of her kind of calming down a little bit, he will go to her room. He, her father figure is, ready, near her. He said, I'll, I'll sit her down and I'll put my hands on her shoulders and I'll ask her three questions. I ask her the same three questions every time. He'll look her in the eye and he'll say, let me ask you three questions. Question number one, do you trust me? Do you trust me? Do you think I would ever harm you? Do you think I would ever do something to be cruel to you? Do you trust me? And she'll look him in the eye and say, yes, I trust you. Okay, question number two. Do you believe I love you? Do you believe that? Do you believe that everything I am doing, I'm doing for your good? You believe I love you? Yes, I believe I, you love me. Okay, question number three. Do you believe I know more than you do? Do you believe that, that I have a broader, deeper, more wisdom-filled perspective on life than you would have as a 16-year-old? Do you believe that? Yes, I believe that. And he said, it's fascinating when you, when you reorient her and help her to remember the heart and mind of her father. He said, you'll, you'll, I'll watch it. The, the stress, the anxiety will come out of her face. The shoulders will relax. Her breathing changes. Peace starts to guard because she has entered into and received a relationship from one who loves her. Guys, this is our interaction with God. When we're all bent up and we're gonna be that way because we live in a culture that's going to cause that to happen. We can't escape it. We can't even go on vacation anymore and escape it. It's the nature of it. And it's not railing against whatever. It's just the way it is. But what do we do about it? It's not the life God wants to give us. 
there's times that we have to pause and change the paradigm. When I'm wiped out and stressed out and frustrated, the TV is not going to relax me. Social media is not going to make me happy. It's not sinful, it's just not, it can't do those things. But I can move in a different direction toward a heavenly father who is near me. Do you trust me? Do you trust that when I say take responsibility for yourself, I'm actually doing that because I love you? Do you trust when I say tackle this a little bit, I'm actually, don't do this, maybe you should, I'm saying those things because I'm trying to give you what you long for, do you trust me? Do you believe I love you? God is not out to get you. Right? He would have got you a long time ago. He's not out to get you. He loves you. Why would he say don't? Or why would he say do? He loves you. He wants what's best for you. You trust that? Ready? Do you believe I know more than you do? Since I'm God. That maybe what you want for yourself isn't actually what you want. Maybe denying a problem is not the way to actually solve it. Maybe believing that you have control that can't be had burdens you. Do you believe that I know more than you do? And when we make this shift, whether it's direct instruction out of God's word that we need to implement into our life, sometimes that's the way Bible works. A lot of times, it's deep relationship with God. Prayer, change the environment, petition. Be humble and ask, thanksgiving, receive what God wants to give us. When we make that shift, all of the sudden, peace Spiritual peace guards my heart and my mind. Less is more. Less noise, more peace. Less activity, more peace. Less running around, more peace. And it has been provided, it has been purchased, it has been offered, but it has to be engaged. Ask the band to come out as they settle in. Guys, what, 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 I, what we try to do here at the end of the service, the way we set the services up like this, is we try to carve out a chunk of peace for you. <laughs> a, a moment of shalom where you can, before the phones get turned back on, and before you start thinking about the Super Bowl and how the Patriots are going to dominate it, and bef- before you get back into the minivan and frozen kicks back up again, right? A moment of peace. That's what we're trying to give you. So in this moments of peace, I encourage you to think about a few things. Number one, first one's the easier one. Is there something in my life that if I actually 
paid attention to it, I could make go away. It's stressing me out, it's worrying me, and I'm procrastinating, I'm living in denial, whatever it is, and I, I actually just need to engage it and take responsibility for myself. Is there something like that, and what are you going to do about it today? You will have less anxiety about that tonight. Peace. Second one, it's the harder one. Do I need to make it a regular practice to walk into the throne room of God? Turn off the TV, flip the phone over, put it down. Peace. What do I need to give to God? Because me owning it is just going to kill me. It's not helping a thing. Right? And how do I invite shalom to guard my heart and my soul? So in these few moments, just, just think about that, right? Wrestle with it. You can sing with the band if you want. You can pray. You can make notes. You can do whatever you want. It doesn't matter. But grab those few moments, press it through with God, and see if he can take you someplace different. Jesus, help us. Guide us. Thank you that you live, you die, you rose again to give us this. God, help us to receive what you're freely offering to us. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.